0: Hello, Radically Loved Ones, Rosie here. I wanted to let you know that today's episode was a special double feature. Today's guest was so impactful. It reminded me of one of my friends who I'd had on the show years ago in season four. Tim Desmond is also of the Buddhist lineage. So that's all I'll share. I'll let you listen to the episode. But I thought it would be a great idea to place his episode at the end of this one. After listening to it again myself, It reminds me of why we continue to practice. We practice because we forget. And oftentimes it's nice to hear the information even though it's things that you may or may not know. To listen to them again in a new space, in a new time, in a different way. Enjoy the show.
1: There's interesting stuff coming out now around how these devices and social media and all of it and the news cycle have been designed to keep us, you know, keep our attention. It's an attention economy and they're trying to get as much as they can.
0: Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. Uh, Tessa's with us today as usual. Happy Friday.
2: Happy Friday. How is everyone? I hope your day is as magical as mine has been. Oh, has (laughs) it been magical? Yes, it's been a magical day. I just feel so accomplished and like the stars are aligning and I'm in good mood. Oh, tell me everything. Oh, well, I did something so terrifying and thrilling all at once. I submitted an article to be published in a magazine. First time <gasps> I've done that. And gosh, you guys, I have been wanting to, Rosie, you know this. I've been yes. talking about being a writer since I was a wee one. You like, are a writer. Yes. And now, you know, I'm, I am a published author. She's
0: a published (laughs) writer and she's still trying to say, oh, I'm
2: whatever. Anyways, I submitted an article to be published in a magazine and that felt so good, thrilling and terrifying and it's sunny and it's like 70 degrees and I went for a run and you know, all the things
0: that are, I just love. Yes. Yeah. No, I love that. And on that note, uh, we're, we completed the 75 days of wellness. Yes. Yes. So we have our last meeting next week. Uh, for those of you who, uh, want to join, you can still go on my website and I believe you can register for the zoom session there. And, um, yeah, 75 days of, wow, this is, this makes me really happy. I too have had a pretty great week and I'm having a great day. It's so funny how those things that we know to do to make us feel good and we we can sometimes take them for granted and when we don't do them we definitely feel the ramifications of not doing them yeah so like when oh my god you guys i'm sorry it's the dog look can oh, you guys see her <laughs> little
2: fuzzy doggy
0: she is just wild a wild little dog um but anyway yeah like going for a run doing my meditation reading my my reflection, my contemplations in the morning, all of those things that just make me start off my day on a good note. It are It's just so important for me to do it every day. And it doesn't take a lot. I mean, it just takes doing it, you know? Um, and yeah, I've also had a really great week. I feel like every week for the last couple of weeks, it's been like trying to just reframe negative things that have happened or something especially after last week but i feel like yeah this week's really good springtime is here the sun is shining and things are just feeling really really great um you know one thing that i wanted to talk to you about with especially with today's guest we have lodro rinsler on the show and i've been actually wanting to get him on the show for a very long time and we actually connected via email he is a best-selling author he's a long-time buddhist meditator Uh, he's a teacher he's the co-founder of mindful meditation studios in new york city and he has a new book called take back your mind buddhist advice for anxious times and it was i enjoyed it so much obviously you know that you know that i've suffered from like debilitating panic attacks since i was a teenager and Mm. After the incident that happened last week, it kind of put me into a little bit of a spin. Those of you who don't know, we had a little bit of an incident with the little pup. Uh, she's fine. Everybody's fine. Everybody's get a, getting along. Um, and, but it just put put me into a state of panic and it took a couple of days for me to regulate. But it it really showed me how sort of fragile and how yeah like how sensitive we are and it doesn't matter how much meditation you do it doesn't matter how many tools you have in your toolbox if something's going to affect you it's going to affect you and it's still a conscious choice to choose a different path to choose a different reaction Mm -hmm. and that takes practice it takes practice to be able to get into that space to choose something different and so I'm curious for you Um, especially after, you know, listening to Terry's uh, interview last week and just with that specific topic. (laughs) I'm going to try this again, you guys. Uh, So as I was saying, yeah, I'm just curious to hear what have been your ways of managing stress and anxiety. And I know we talked about it last week, and this is a topic that often comes up, but I'm curious if, There's any big lesson that you've learned regarding your own reactivity.
2: Mm, Yeah. You know, um, actually as I was listening to the episode with Lodro, um, I I have forgot that I have all these tools. And um, and what the work is for me is it's called emotional hygiene. And so just like we take a shower and, and we clean our bodies you know, that's one way that we um, practice hygiene, right, good hygiene. But there's also this other school of thought called emotional hygiene. And what, there's a lot of different tools within this school of thought. But um, the one that I find myself coming back to over and over again is um, these 12 needs, like the idea is that we all have these 12 inherent needs as human beings. And if, if any one of them is not being met, at, at one point in time, we can feel anxious, stressed out, off balance. So the first thing to do is to check in with those 12 needs. I'm probably going to forget one, but <laughs> they're basic, like um, breathing, right? We all need to breathe. So how's your breathing? Um, are you hydrated? Are you thirsty? Um, how is your temperature? Like, can you regulate your, uh, are your hands cold? Are your feet cold? Do you need to add an extra layer or take one off? um and then there's like a few in the realm of love connection relationship um touch and even if you don't have the ability like right now touch is kind of a hard one right but even if you don't have the ability to um reach out and touch someone else just even putting your hands on your heart and we've done that before but yeah so these are all like simple things that we all have access to but they become i think we just forget like you know, we just forget that we have these tools. So that's one thing I love to practice in these times. And then another, um, another practice I have is to, if I can remember, like before I go down that spiral of anxiety and stress and like the, all the what ifs, if I can remember to just sit for a minute and, um, close my eyes and, um, think about all the different ways I can describe what I'm hearing. So as many adjectives as you can um, come up with, with your eyes closed for sound, right? Like, so like there's a soft hum. Um, There's my little kitty who's pitter pattering around. Um, And it's a really good practice to just put you like Lodro talks about being in the present state. That is a practice that will very much put you in your present state of being, because you're just paying attention to what's around you in that moment right now. So those are a couple of things that come to mind.
0: I love that so much and such great reminders to do. And I, I hope that this is serving, especially those of you who perhaps are like me and have that really deep groove in your neurological pathway to go directly towards panic and anxiety. To understand that there are other ways to mitigate that, so uh, today's episode we're going to discover how to use gadgets and social media mindfully. So I love that we we have that conversation and we talk about that. Um, Lodro is going to talk about some techniques to help support you with facing anxiety and coping with uncertainties. And you know, one of the things that I loved uh, in our conversation was just hearing his completely relatable approach to things. I mean, he's just such a sweet and loving person and that really comes through. Um, Mindfulness to me has been a a lifelong study. I've been studying mindfulness since I was 13 years old and not that I was practicing when I was 13, it was just, I've been been familiar with these methodologies and Mm -hmm. I, I love the fact that he's dedicated his entire life to Teaching this to all of his students and to his community. I hope you all enjoy this episode with Lodro Rinsler. You know that feeling when you finally realize that you need glasses, not just when you're reading a book, but pretty much all the time? Maybe it's just me. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create a boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. They offer eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams. Glasses start at $95 and this includes prescription lenses. Make sure you also opt in to get that blue light protection. They have those lenses available as well. Here's the best part. When you do their quiz online, you get the home try-on kit. You get to pick five lenses and they'll send them to you for free. So I was able to torture Tori for a few days asking him which pair was the best one and then I just ended up choosing the one that I wanted. So try Warby Parker's free home try on program. Order five pairs of glasses to try at home for free for five days. So there's no obligation to buy any of them. It ships for free and it includes a prepaid return shipping label. And it was super easy to return the glasses that I didn't want back. You can try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com forward slash loved. Don't forget to take the quiz if you need help choosing your frames. So head over to warbyparker.com forward slash loved today. Your eyes will thank you for it. If there's ever been a year to make moms in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, this is the one. Last year was one of the hardest years for many of us. My mom has pre-existing health conditions, and so we spent a long span of months not being able to see each other because I didn't want to put her at risk. That's why I'm honoring my mom with a heartfelt, sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever with StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your mom, grandmother, mother-in-law, and every mother figure in your life share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun new way to engage with them, especially if you can't be together in person. Every week, StoryWorth emails your mom a different story prompt questions you've never thought to ask, like, what is some of the best advice your mother ever gave you? And if you could choose any talents to have, what would they be? Or you can do what I did and just ask your mom who her favorite child is. She said it depended on the day. StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound and special ways, All of their testimonials will practically move you to tears. In fact, StoryWorth has already created a powerful experience for me. During one of our discussions, my mom said that she only wished that my grandmother was still alive so that she can share some of these questions with her. There are things that she'll never get to know But she was able to turn it around and be grateful to the fact that we're able to have these conversations now. And maybe one day she can share her answers with her future grandchildren. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your mom's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com forward slash loved. You'll get $10 off of your first purchase. That's storyworth.com forward slash loved for $10 off. And to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Lodro Rensler, welcome to the show. Did I say your name right, Lodro? Yeah,
1: yeah, you did. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, wow. I'm, it, the, the fandom is is reciprocal, so it's great oh. to be here.
0: <laughs> well, that makes me so happy. You have a new book, and I, I don't know well, we we kind of talked a little bit before we started um, to record, but um, the name of your new book is called Take Back Your Mind. And you know that I've struggled with anxiety. I mean, really most of my entire life, and especially (laughs) last year, when I thought after all of the years of practice and being in the world of wellness and all the tools and being a teacher and being uh, I'm going to do air quotes, like a leader in the space. I still had so much anxiety last year. And I really was just surprised at the level of, um, just the, the heaviness of what I felt last year. And so when I, I was reading your book, it, uh, reading about it and, and the things that you teach and in your experience, your life. And I was like, wow, this is Something that we need right now so bad. I need it really is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate your vulnerability in saying that. And I, I do the same thing in the book, where it's like, hey, I've struggled with anxiety most of my life. I started meditating when I was a kid, but that didn't mean that like there haven't been major stressors in my life, major times where things have fallen apart, and all sorts of things that throw us for a loop. And I guess you know, and I'd be curious to hear about your experience around this. But for me, it's really been. What do I do when things fall apart? What do I do when, you know, it it hits the fan and there's a major stressor, there's a major move, a major financial thing, a major, whatever it is for any of us. And of course, right now we're in the middle of this pandemic, which is just, it's the first time I can really imagine that we have had such an extended period of collective uncertainty. And we just don't do well with uncertainty. It produces anxiety, it produces stress. How do we work with our mind during that? So I think, you know, the reason why now for this book is really we're all working with anxiety already. Can we sort of support each other? And what you just said is so I think it's brave and it's vulnerable and it's wonderful because in my experience, we don't talk about anxiety. We all have situations where we are prone to anxiety and no one talks about it. Why? Let's put it on the open. Let's like support one another in this. Hence the book.
0: Yes. And I, you know what I found that more people, even though... I wish that, yes, more people would talk about, it, especially in the world of wellness, right? More people would just be more open. Um, I mean, we practice because we forget, right? I mean, that's the whole that's the whole reason behind why we have to continue to do what we do. But I'm just, I'm curious for you uh, in working with people, especially last year, what are the main things that you were noticing about our um I want to. I'm going to call it dysfunction because I feel like it is a dysfunction, especially when we are in a state of constant input. We're constantly putting th- things in, taking in information, being on social media, watching the news, just being being so bombarded with external things um, that we create this this uncertainty and, and heaviness. Like, what was your what was your experience personally, and and what did you notice was a big factor in all of that
1: yeah Uh, personally I had uh sort of a bizarre experience where I was like oh uncertainty I know how to work with that at this point (laughs) you know it was sort of like oh a long prolonged period of time where I don't know what's happening okay but it was really interesting working with meditation students there's sort of two camps one camp was I don't know how I'd be able to navigate this if I didn't have the stability of my meditation practice of really and it the book itself, Take Back Your Mind, it has tips, is short, little techniques, is all sorts of things. But there's a heavy emphasis on, you know, mindfulness practice as a way to notice the anxiety-producing thoughts that come up and not chase after them, to acknowledge them and come back to the present moment, particularly the breath, that soothing, stabilizing influence we all have. Anyone who's listening to this right now is breathing, like we all have it. So, how much can we sort of acknowledge when we get hooked by stress and anxiety? Unhook ourselves, come back. We train the mind to do it, which is essentially what meditation is. And then the other camp was—it was actually very funny because you know the first early weeks there were all these meditation students be like, "How long do you think this is going to go on for?" Because like somehow I was going to become like Fauci, like I was just going to know. Yes. You know, well, from my experience, you know, that's <laughs> going Yes. Weeks. Um. So, but it became a really good thing for us because we could then have a conversation around like, "Well, we—I don't know. You don't know." could we start to get comfortable with the not knowing? Because there's going to be so many parts of our life where we don't know. Someone calls you out of the blue and says, you know, I need to talk to you. These days, it's like such a scary thing to see. Oh my gosh, you know, what do we have to talk about? Did I say something? Did I do something? Mm -hmm. It might just be like, oh, we haven't caught up in a while. In our mind though, we could say, it's a very minor stressor, but like we could spin out all sorts of stories and lock ourselves in the point of pain and anxiety for days leading up to it. What if they say this? What if I say that? And then we talk to them and say, I just wanna catch up. It pops in an instant, but that was so much wasted mental energy that could have gone into creativity. It could have gone into connection with friends and family. There's any number of things. So it's a, you know, I, it feels horrible in the midst of a pandemic to be like, this is an epidemic, but it is. Yeah. Like we all have this monkey in our back called anxiety and we need to actually learn tools to unhook ourselves from those stories long enough to enjoy our life.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're basically telling us why you called your book Take Take Back Your Mind, <laughs> because that's that's sort of what happens. You've just spoke to all of the reasons and all of the things that take our mind away. You know, one of the things that I, I found fascinating last year was how because you're in that state of uncertainty, uh, and, and you know, even though it's familiar for for me, what's most familiar is, uh, uh, change. I'm like, Oh, change is familiar. Impermanence. This is all not, none of this is going to last long. It's gonna, you know, it's bad now it's, it's going to be better at some point, And then that's not going to last. And then it's going to be bad again, you know, so I can deal with that, but it's still being in the, the Valley of, but is it like, is it going to be better? Is it not going to be better? And really allowing everything around us to corroborate that uncertainty. Uh, What I was going to say is that I found myself perpetuating that by watching the news and being on social media and getting wrapped up in in all of the hype and all the things that were going on, the civil unrest, like all of the things that were happening were just perpetuating that feeling. And I feel like unless you have the tools, how do you recognize that? How do you recognize that you're doing that so that you can pull yourself out of it, right?
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And most people, I think this is why, this is part of why this has been such a hard time for them, because we could completely deplete our mental and emotional batteries Mm -hmm. without even knowing it. And it's like, why? Well, maybe I guess it's because all I've done is look at CNN all day and not actually gotten my work done. I was stressed out about work. And it's like we could reason our way there. But one of the things I find really helpful, and this is again, me personally, and then I included this in the book as well, is after the 50th time that we're playing out the same sort of story,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: we could ask ourselves essentially the same question, but the version I find, there's two questions. One that I find very helpful is, is this helpful? I want to be helpful in this lifetime, right? That's the goal of mine. So is this helpful? No, actually, maybe like early on, it was helpful. But like at this point, going back to the previous example of, oh, I want to talk to you. Like this isn't helpful. It's not based in reality. And then just by becoming gently inquisitive, I can unhook myself. The second question would be, is this useful? Same thing, really. Because maybe at some point we might say, well, rent's coming due. I need to figure out what I need, how I'm going to pay rent. That's useful the first one, two times that we're thinking about it after the 50th time we're playing out the conversation with our landlord in our head, no longer useful. <laughs> so becoming gently inquisitive with our own mind can also be really helpful to unhook us from those stories.
0: Yeah. How do we discern that? What a great example. I mean, truly, it's to get you to a place of dis- disengaging, but but then how do you not escape into, okay, well, what am I gonna do? And now the landlord's asking like, he's probably gonna say, no, I need to pay now, or I'm gonna get evicted and I'm gonna be evicted in 30 days. What am I gonna do with my life, What, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) It's very funny, you know, I work, I've been teaching meditation at this point 20 years. And with so many of the meditation students that I have, particularly when it comes to like a work thing or a financial thing, well, this person hasn't responded to my email. And you could spin it out. This is actually a version of something I call a thought party, where it's like we try and create as many thoughts as possible. And at some point it bursts. Yes. So it's like, okay, what happens if this person, well, if I can't finish my project, if they don't email me back, what happens if you don't finish the project? Then I get a bad review. What happens if I get a bad review? Well, after a few bad reviews, I might get fired. What happens if we get fired? Then I never get a job again because I got fired. And then I'm living in a box down by the street. It's always like ends with them like living in a box somewhere. And it's just, it's, and it can be simple. Someone didn't respond to my email. That's how anxiety works. It's just, doesn't, it's not helpful for us. So at some point we almost want to, it's not always a great technique, but if we're working with someone like that, it can be really helpful to like make it really, really big. And at some point have it pop. We realize reality isn't actually what is in our mind. The what if thinking is not helpful, it's not useful. And we need to like allow ourselves to come back into the present moment. When we're in the present moment, what do we experience? The art on the wall is beautiful. I can just rest and appreciate it for a moment. The flowers smell good. I mean, it's such a cliche is to stop and smell the roses, but we don't often spend any time appreciating the details of our life. So allowing ourselves, it's like a two-step process. One, we unhook ourselves from the story so we can come into the present moment. Two, is there something about this moment that I can enjoy?
0: Yeah. What are some some techniques that help us disengage from i love that you called it a thought party so i like that technique so just continue to I- inquire until you make it you until you Absolutely can't answer outside
1: the of reality yeah totally okay
0: <laughs> and and it's so true as you're saying that and i'm following along ultimately it's okay the big bad wolf is that i'm gonna end up you know on the side of the street somewhere and and you know and i forget okay well That will never happen. I've got so many other ways that I can figure this out. You know, it. I'm comparing it to so many things. We can compare that same methodology to our career, to relationships. Actually, that's one of the things. I'm sorry, I'm like jumping all over the place. I have so many questions. Um, Actually, I want to talk to you about relationships and how this pertains to that thought process you know because i feel like if you have two people that are in that same uh mental uh downward spiral it makes it worse as opposed to just having one person or having like an anchor point or having a support system so how important is it to have people in your life to support you in coming back to yourself
1: I'm someone who for the majority of their single life was constantly like they haven't responded to my text, And that means that they're done with me. And the, the whole thing, you know, like I, for all of the safeguards of meditation practice and all that for, I was just this one arena. Like I would be fine. I could work with my work anxiety, Could work with my family anxiety. Why haven't they texted me back would somehow get me to the point that again, it became ludicrous and I had to work on it and I realized it and, you know, um, <laughs> At this point, my wife and I have been together six years, seven years. Don't, oh God, now I'm on the record not knowing. And Uh (laughs) it's okay. I'm going to tag her
0: in this. I'm going to tag her.
1: Yep, exactly. Um, But I know that one so strongly. And it's it's really, it can be quite crippling of like, as you said, even if, if, particularly if there's two people, but even if there's one person that's just so, um, there's such a lack of ease in their own being that they are constantly projecting the what is, like, what if they don't get back to me? What if they're not as into me as I am into them? What if we never see each other again? What if they've ghosted me, you know, dot, dot, dot. And um, I think it's really, they're alluring storylines, particularly for those of us who have gone down that rabbit hole before, where we have been ghosted in the past, where someone hasn't gotten back to us or whatever our version of it may be. They're not as into us as we are into them. and you know, I guess leave it to the meditation teacher to keep bringing it back to that topic, but there's something baked into even just the most basic breath practices where we're just resting with ourselves as we are. And in Tibetan, there's this wonderful word for meditation, which is gom, G-O-M, can be translated as meditation, but it can also be translated as familiarization or become familiar with. The idea that this whole process of meditation is us becoming familiar with all of who we are. And if you met a new friend, and you, you know, started hanging out regularly and getting to know them, at some point you'd be like, I like this person. I like this friend. And maybe months, years pass, you look over your shoulder. I love this friend because we spent so much time getting to know them and embracing them for who they are. Meditation's us doing that with ourselves. We're sitting there on a seat, maybe a meditation cushion, maybe a chair, 10 minutes a day, we're just spending time with ourselves, getting to know ourselves. It's not so that we're leveling up and becoming someone new. We're just getting to know and accept ourselves. So 10 minutes a day, weeks pass, we say, oh, I like myself a little bit better. I'm kinder to myself. Months pass, we love ourselves more. And there's less that feeling of, oh, I need to go find love out there because there's actual love right here. Like I actually have love and I have access to love to answer your question more directly, of course, it's wonderful that there's people that can mirror that love back, but it's a little bit less of the Jerry Maguire, you complete me thing, and more of like, I'm here with love and you're mirroring your love back. And it just feels like we're both coming from a place of wholeness. That's a really profound thing if we can get there. And I think that's part of what actually last thing I'll say about this is when, um, you know, meditation class, my wife actually was leading a meditation class five years ago, something like that. And We were running this challenge. You come 30 days in a row to these meditation classes, you get your next month membership half off. And we would always say like, okay, enough of us sitting in the front of the room as meditation teachers telling you why you ought to meditate. You tell us what has happened. Anyone here finishing up their time? This guy's like, I've been meditating for 30 days. Great. Why should anyone meditate? He says, at the age of 55, it's actually the first time in my life that I really think I understand how to love myself when she told me that i almost cried i mean it's it's like we go through our life thinking so poorly about ourselves this is actually in the book as well from an early age society whispers in our ear and says actually you're not good enough you know what you really need is a better education oh you know you're doing all this work who said you could do this work you need a better career you need a better mentor you need a better spouse high product house whatever like we name it and we are constantly trying to level up for that reason as opposed to saying actually maybe basically holy I'm good okay as is and this is a fundamental belief in you know I was raised buddhist and people ask like oh was it what was it like growing up in a buddhist household the key thing that really stood out to me is that I wasn't raised with the idea that I was originally messed up <laughs> and I needed fixing <laughs> mm-hmm. i was raised with the idea that i'm basically whole good as is and yes Then, as is now, I will make mistakes, I will get confused, and I will act from a place that is not in touch with that goodness. But by and large, year over year, having a deeper relationship with that means that the mistakes get smaller, (laughs) means that the confusion gets less, and I'm more able to live through that lens. So I think that's huge that we could actually start to have a relationship with ourselves where we're like, maybe I'm not basically messed up, maybe I'm basically okay and good.
0: Mm. Oh, that's so, that's so nice. I mean, to be able to go to that place, it's so, uh, it's so encouraging to know that that's a possibility for us to go into a state of wholeness when we are in our meditation practice. As you were saying that I kept thinking, you know, of, of all the ways that we, uh, affirm being fragmented with our choices or the things, Oh, when I get the house, then I'll be successful. Or when I get the girlfriend or when I get the boyfriend, then I'll be complete. Or when I, you know, we're trying to find happiness in our next purchase or in our next um, decision because we feel like we won't be enough until, or we won't feel complete until we're as sitting and being in that state. And as you're saying that I'm thinking about my meditation practice and I guess been doing it for so long now that I don't think I don't, it's not something that I think about I think if I don't sit and do my practice in the morning, I don't feel, I have done it for so long now. I don't actually know who I would be if I didn't do it, but I, I don't think about it as an opportunity to just, yeah, feel, feel the wholeness of myself. I look at it as more, this is an opportunity for me to connect with my breath and to connect with everything else, right? I I see it as a, as a way of just re-entering back into this plane, but I, I love what you're saying about taking it as an opportunity to feel our wholeness, because, I mean, truly, that's exactly what it is, is taking time to spend with ourselves. We spend so much time giving it to everything else, everyone else, and those moments during the day where we're mindlessly scrolling through social media or, or watching that next, you know, CNN story, because, you know, they hook you in they're they're wanting you to keep watching. And it's like, Oh, and next, this and next, this. And it's just like, Oh, oh, okay. Now what? Oh no, something's going on. It's like, okay, disconnect, turn it off, bring your attention back to you. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier that, that I use for myself, and perhaps this is, useful to anybody out out there who is the same. My quickest barometer to how something is affecting me is if I'm breathing or not breathing, right? It's like if I'm watching the news and I'm like holding my breath and I'm feeling that tension, okay, turn it off, walk outside, do something to shake everything back up and get yourself back into a focused state because if you continue and oftentimes maybe people out there can relate but I'm watching television while I have my phone in my hand and I'm doing you know it's the multi just sensory overload right
1: yes (laughs) yeah 100% and you know, obviously there's there's interesting stuff coming out now around how these devices and social media and all of it and the news cycle have been designed to keep us, you know, keep our attention. It's an attention economy and they're trying to get as much as they can. It's really hard. There's actually a chapter in here as well around social media and like, just how do we set boundaries around this thing? <gasps> Tell and us. a conscious Tell thing. Yeah, it says, so you know, the thing when you write a book and then it comes out so many so much longer later that you're like, oh, what, <laughs> what did I recommend about social? Media? But there, there's a sense of intentionality. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like actually knowing it's actually a threefold logic that I, I employ for a lot of different things. So maybe it's applicable to other things as well. But there's our intention, there's our activity, and then there's the fruition of how we feel after. So if I'm going into a long work day. I might set the intention that I am not going to do social media until the end of that day, at which point I'm going to give myself, you know, half hour to catch up and see what friends have been doing, et cetera. There's a sense of intentionality. Like I'm going to it for a reason. I want to see what my friends are doing. My friend got married recently. I want to see the photos. Great. It's different than what we do, which is an unconscious intention. We're frustrated with something that's on our workload. We open another tab. We open another tab and we keep going. And then we never get work done. And then we're feeling overwhelmed because we never got our work done, et cetera. So having a sense of, okay, here's, maybe it's not, I push it to the end of the workday, but I'm going to let myself do this for five minutes. And then at the end of the five minutes, I look at the timer and I come back and I go back to work, some version of intentionality. And then there's the activity. Do we just show up and be present for the activity? We don't sit there and say, I'm going to feel guilty because I'm doing it. It's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to, you know, if I, my intention is to go look at my friend's photos, I'm just gonna go look at my friend's photos and see how their wedding was, as opposed to mindlessly scrolling. So to be as present as possible as we engage in these things. And then the fruition is, how do we feel after? Mm. If we actually committed to those things and followed through, we might feel refreshed, we might feel uplifted. We just connected with a friend. If we just ended up, you know, our intention went out the window, we've been here for a half hour, we're behind it, we feel not so good learning curve right again we make mistakes as human beings and then we continue to refine and say well i don't want to do that mistake again i want to be more intentional so i think that sort of threefold process of intention activity and fruition how we feel after might be good not just for social media but for a lot of the things we do including you know cnn and all the rest that you just mentioned the nonstop cycle is very hard to break but setting that sense of intentionality can be helpful
0: yeah. I was writing that down because I think it's such a great way to, uh, like such a great rule. And I think the first thing I was thinking about as, by the way, I love how, when we're trying to be present and as you're saying something, I'm like, Oh, my mind, I have another question. You know, I, I try really hard to practice active listening. So that's why sometimes I have to write things down when I'm interviewing somebody or somebody's talking. Cause it allows me to focus, but then you're like, how do I relate to this? And all I think is having that intentionality. I've had that intentionality going on social media, but then something comes up. It's like the first thing. And then it takes you down this little rabbit hole. And, you know, then I'm like, okay, I was going to Instagram because somebody sent me their email and I wanted to email them. So I go on there and then it's like somebody's picture, right? There's a video and now I'm watching a reel and now it's taking me to another reel. And it's just like, okay. You know, one of the ways that I mitigate that is I, I mute a lot of distracting accounts, you know, that are in my feed. It's what helps me keep just my focus on. And and in the morning, whenever I do social media, I usually just do it in the morning, you know, between the hours of like 10 and 11. And, uh, you know, I might post something. I might kind of tool around a little bit, but then that's it. I won't go back on. Uh, I might check it one more time in the evening or do an Instagram story or something, and then that's it. And when I can set those boundaries, I feel a lot better about being on there because it's so hard to, you know, not get sucked into that current Right. A hundred
1: percent. And I appreciate that you have this like, oh, this is the time within which I allow myself to do it. And it's, I guess there's an element here that we're talking about, which is discipline. So there's two elements here that I talk about in the book. One is discernment. The more we get to know ourselves in meditation or just in general, the more we start to say, oh, these are aspects of my life I want to cultivate more of, and these are ones I want to cut out. And then the discipline in is not sort of like a like, I'm gonna discipline you, I'm the headmaster, sort of thing. It's a it's a sense of like personal moral discipline of like, I know what would actually help me feel uplifted. And I know what makes me feel drained. I need to follow through on that. And the more we listen to that, the more we actually feel like, oh, this is a meaningful, joyful life. And when we just let it go by the wayside, we're like, I'll just, you know, binge watch Netflix until it's done, you know, 2 a.m. Lo and behold, uh, we don't feel so good the next day. So we learn again, it's this learning process along the way. Um, and that's sort of the beautiful thing as humans, that we can continue to evolve. We can continue to change from who we were and and force better habits than we have in the past.
0: Yeah, so true. One of the other questions I had for you is being able, uh, having had the opportunity to grow up in a Buddhist household, like in my mind, what a dream, right? I'm like, oh, this is, how do you how do you have any issues with anything? If you grow up in an environment like that, it's like, you're just, you have all the tools, you have a good foundation. So what are, what are, you know, some of the things that you did find yourself struggling with as you got older?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I feel like, um, there was a part around this where back then, um, meditation was not considered cool. It was not considered trendy. It was Totally weird. A lot of misconceptions about it, and I like to joke that's not the only reason I was pushed into lockers growing up. But it did not help that I, that I meditated. So you know, I think it, we're seeing the sort of it's it it is a little bit bizarre that we're all into meditation now. I love it, but yes. it's as bizarre as like if someone was like, "We really want to interview you about X Men comics." Um,
0: <laughs> I <laughs> love like, X Men.
1: Okay, we'll we'll have a whole other episode to go about Perfect. Into that. Perfect. Okay. Good. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but I do think that there is a lot that I didn't learn. I mean, this is a little bit too out there maybe as an answer, but like, there's a lot that I needed to learn as like a man. And a lot of things that we now look at in terms of toxic masculinity, in terms of like, mm-hmm. a, you know, I'm a white bodied cisgender man, like the whole patriarchal thing. And there's a lot of, like, many religious traditions come from patriarchal societies and these things aren't openly discussed. And it was actually learning outside of buddhism you know it's my own anti-racism training my own you know sort of trainings that i would engage in and teachers that i would have to seek out and study that were sometimes outside of buddhism that would then inform my worldview and make me a better person and a better teacher Mm. um again it's a little bit a little bit off topic but also sort of like i think for me it's always like where can i learn more and what do i need to do to uh, sort of like Yes, I was very lucky to be raised in a Buddhist household that emphasized like I'm basically good as is. And there's also a lot of like things that I'm blind to that I have to mm-hmm. continuously lift up the veils, including the veil of anxiety. You know, like that's what how yes. one of the ways I talk about is it. like there are there were so many blind spots around anxiety that I wasn't even looking at. Because, you know, I was raised in a particular household, you know, that it was my parents, even though they became Buddhist, they were both Jewish and their parents had survived, or not. You know, their family members had not survived. In some cases, the Holocaust. There's a lot of sort of anxiety around big societal issues that I never thought would actually become part in uh, our current society. But now I'm seeing people with Camp Auschwitz sh- sweatshirts at the White House or at the Capitol. So it's sort of like there's a lot of stuff like that that sort of I think societally and then also um, generationally got passed down in terms of anxiety for me. And uh, I'm still wiping away at some of these yeah. obscurations. I'm going to keep wiping away. And that's just the work that I'm trying to do as a person. No. So that's, it's a longer answer than what you might have wanted, but that's yeah, just no. one of the things I'm thinking about these days.
0: It's so, it's so great. I'd love to have you on again. We can talk about that ancestral, uh, generational anxiety that that is, I believe, passed down, you know, energetically or however you want to see it, because I feel it's such a fascinating place. Um, I don't know if you've, you've looked much into the world of epigenetics. I mean, some people think that it's totally, you know, woo woo. And some people are really into it. I, I'm definitely more of the scientific brain type, but I also am, I I do see a lot of correlations and I do believe that some of that stuff is quite possible. And, yeah i'd be curious to hear how mindfulness uh plays a role in in that um so that might be that's our next our next uh episode yeah that'll be really fun yeah and then we can talk about x ex- to collect wolverine comics are you kidding
1: yeah great <laughs>
0: um okay so i am so excited i'm just wanting to be respectful of of our time here the book is called take back your mind and i recommend that everybody out there who's ever suffered from anxiety, or even if you haven't, maybe you have somebody in your life that you, you know, does maybe they, it would be a great book for them to read. I think everybody should read the book. I mean, even if you've never experienced anxiety before, I think it's just a great way to understand where we are in society as a whole. I feel like everybody was suffering from anxiety last year. You know, I feel like we're still, I mean, we have yet to see the ramifications of the the chaos that ensued last year I mean, there's going to be a lot of ptsd i feel like there's going to be a lot of processing and i'm not trying to sound uh morbid or anything i i feel like it would be a disservice if we didn't acknowledge the fact that we're we're still in a pandemic i mean we're in la we're still in lockdown now it's end of january um and you know we we are still in this State of not knowing. I feel like we've done our best to stay positive and stay optimistic. But I feel like that being said, uh, there's a lot of people out there who are going to need some support and are going to need help. And I feel like this book is really going to help a lot of people. That reminds me
1: what you said, I 100% agree on. And that reminds me that uh, the proceeds from this book are actually going uh, to two different organizations that are one organizations, Feeding America, which is a collection of food banks around our country. And then the Loveland Foundation, which is uh, therapeutic support for black and brown women and girls. And we a small world story and then I'll, I'll shut up because we do have to go, I, I imagine. But uh, I reached out to both organizations being like, hey, I'd love to support you in this. What do you think? And both said, yes. In the Loveland Foundation, the current executive director was like, "Oh, and by the way, I read your first book like eight years ago, and it helped me move out of what I was doing into philanthropy, and now I'm here as the ED at Loveland Foundation." It's like this is the best small world story Mm -hmm. I've ever heard. So, when people buy the book, hopefully it helps them, but also they're helping these great organizations as well.
0: That is so beautiful. Thank you so much, and thank you for all the work that you've done. I mean. Truly, this was a too quick for my liking. Um, anyway, we're definitely going to stay connected, so I'm I'm excited to continue to have conversations with you and and continue to get to know you a little bit better. And um, I am so grateful that you you created this book that you and your other books and just all of the work that you've done. I mean, we didn't even we'll talk about it in the intro, how amazing you are, because truly you are such an incredible human being and blessed for all of the incredible work that you do with so many people. And, you know, I I look at people like you who do a lot of things behind the scenes that people don't get to experience. And I just, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that people like you exist because this world wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you for all the work that you do. Um, I'm so grateful for the people that are watching this, or if you're listening to this podcast, uh, be sure to share this with your friends or anybody who you think would have, um, would benefit from listening to this conversation or or reading this book, uh, before I let you go, um, where can people go to for more information or to, uh, contact you?
1: Great, great question. Thank you. Um, Yes, I always forget about these things, but the nice thing about having a name like Lodra Rinsler is that you get to own the domain name. So you can go to like LodraRinsler.com, you type Lodra Rinsler into Instagram, you're gonna find me, Facebook, things like that. <laughs> um, and I just wanna say thank you so much. I mean, what you do with this show is such a service to so many people. And um, I, I imagine that you get this all the time from people who are watching or listening, but you know, thank you for, for doing the work that you do in the world.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. I do have, before we go, I do have one final question and I ask all of my guests, it's a great way to like pivot the attention off of me. Uh, (laughs) The question is about this podcast and why I started this podcast. It was the idea that we are all radically loved and radically supported by uh, God, universe, source, whatever higher power of your understanding that the universe works for us and not against us. So the final question for you is how do you feel radically loved?
1: Yeah. I feel um, it is, it's so funny when you put it that way because it is that sense of like energy, right? There is a feeling of energy. And uh, for me, it's amazing to know that something like a book like this can go out into the world and help people. And I'm never in a relationship with them personally, but that they could still feel the love that I infuse into it. And then sometimes they write me and they say, you know, like this was actually so beautifully helpful for my heartbreak, my situation, my lost, my loved one. And um, that fuels me beyond anyone's understanding. Uh, I can't put it into words. So I'm always appreciative to be in conversation with the people that engage with my work. That's beautiful.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a part of the Radically Loved community. We're so grateful and we look forward to continuing to follow your work and continue to see your growth. And we just, we are so grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening or watching this big love. We completed the 75 days of wellness, my friends, and I would not have been able to do it without my tonal. And I'll tell you, even though most of the gyms have been open here in LA, I don't actually plan on going back. I've got coaches, I've got programs, I've got yoga, I've got meditation, I can custom build my workouts and all in the comfort of my own home. Since getting my tonal, I realized how much time I wasted lollygagging at the gym, trying to figure out which weight to use or what machine I should be on. And Tonal makes it super easy with its coach-led workouts. Its powered digital weights actually learn my body and the Tonal is capable of lifting up to 200 pounds. Not that I'll ever be able to lift 200 pounds or I want to lift 200 pounds, but I like to have the option. Tonal is the best. It's a smart at-home gym that replaces every machine in the weight room and has personal training programs built in. And the best thing is that it looks just like a mirror or a TV on your wall. So you don't have all these big bulky weights or racks to crowd your space. And I'm very particular about my space, (laughs) meaning it doesn't interfere with my zen-like vibes in my zen den. So if you're like me and you wanna have your own smart at-home gym, then you can try Tonal for 30 days risk-free. When you visit tonal.com, you can get $100 off of the smart accessories when you use the promo code ROSIE at checkout. So go to www.tonal.com and use the promo code ROSIE, R O S I E. Tonal will help you be your strongest. Okay, what I'm gonna tell you is super gnarly. The dirty little, not so dirty little secret about bedding is that while cotton might be the most popular fabric for sheets, duvets, and pillowcases, it is the most damaging to our planet. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Attitude. By using 100% organic bamboo fabric, Attitude's sheets save 500 times more water than cotton and produce 52% less carbon emissions. And who isn't a fan of trying to save the planet? After I received the first set, I had to go back and order a second set, not only because I sleep warm and Tori, doesn't. <laughs> he likes to be cool at night and the material was super cool and super soft. So unlike cotton, which consumes massive amounts of water, energy, and chemicals during production, attitude uses organic bamboo. This is the most resource-efficient plant on the planet. It's also what our floor is made of. So Comfort Attitudes 100% bamboo fabric has a unique silky smooth and feathery soft texture that is similar to silk. It delivers unparalleled comfort that actually feels better than cotton. Their passion is to provide the best quality of sleep in the most sustainable way. Attitudes organic bamboo fabrics are temperature-regulating, hypoallergenic, antibacterial, and toxin-free. Try any Attitude bedding for 30 nights. If you're not completely satisfied, return it for a full refund. Right now, you can get 20% off of your order, plus free shipping, when you visit attitude.com forward slash loved and enter promo code love. Remember, that's attitude as in eco attitude. Order today for free shipping and 20% off of your order at attitude.com slash loved. Promo code loved. Everyone, let's welcome Tim Desmond to the show. Hey, Tim.
3: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited to chat with you because I, I received your book in the mail and I was really excited just because of the title. Um, and Can you tell our audience what the title of the book is?
3: Yeah, uh, How to Stay Human in a Fucked Up World.
0: <laughs> and I was like, uh... I need to read this book right now. And from the first page I started, I couldn't put it down. It actually came on one of my retreats with me because I just, I needed to finish it. It was just so good. And from there, I did a little bit more research and I um, I found your uh, self-compassion skills workbook mm-hmm. and which I thought was amazing as well. And uh, one of the things that I, I love about your your book now is that um the description is it the description for the book is it's possible to pay attention and care about the suffering in the world without letting it poison us which to me in this day and age where we are in the world i feel like is so important for us to learn and i I would really love for you to just talk to us about what your Uh, inspiration was behind writing this book, and why do you think it's a
3: message that we need to hear? Thank you. Um, Yeah, I've been a part of sort of social justice movements and working in the mental health world. Um, I I live at a retreat center that's sort of like a social justice oriented retreat center. And I mean, I'm an idealist. and i think that and I, I my my sense for, of of this show is that it appeals to people who are idealists who like i think one thing that's true about me and the people that i connect with is um that we believe human beings are better or, or are capable of a better world than this mm. um that we that we could create a better world and i think my heart goes out so much to all of the different ways that people are trying to make our world better and the different ways that, that we're acting and the different ways that we're just trying to shape our own lives and the different ways that we just wish we could do something and we're feeling paralyzed. And I think that what I wanted to write about is that impulse that we all have to this impulse to want to make the world better and the practices that I've learned over the course of my life and my study with Thich Nhat Hanh that, that I think make that a lot more possible to be able to, to face what's hard in the world <clears throat> so that there's a possibility that we could, could do something about it. There's a possibility that we could in our own lives and in the greater world um, have a positive impact.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that. So it definitely left me feeling like I don't want to say hopeful because I I feel like you provided such a realist approach and sometimes for me I feel like the word hope can be just kind of bland because I'm more of like a doer type of person. I don't want to just be left with this feeling like every, I feel like there's this desensitization that's happening with us just feeling hopeful or we just want to feel the love and light in the world. We just want to feel good. And we want to look away from the stuff that's happening because we don't want to feel bad, you know? Yeah. And so I really love your, your guidance on how to actually create something sustainable and part of, you know, the practices that I, I know that you teach and that you study is um, this idea about having the capacity to have compassion and to also be in a state of equanimity, which we find, which I find, I think it's like counterintuitive. Right. And I know that you've sp- you've spoken to that. And I think that, in saying that, how, how do you think that that impact or that, that way of belief in our society is, is hindering us from growing?
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is like that impulse to, to, move, to get away from what's painful is healthy and it's important. And, and I think it's like sometimes it's the right thing to do. And I think it's like, I, it's, I really want to be careful about, it. I don't want to demonize that in any way.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But the thing that I'm really interested in is developing our capacity to to confront or to face what's painful in a way that it's not, that it doesn't hurt. And it's it's possible to do that. And I think that like, so when Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the, the idea of embracing suffering, the image that he uses is that basically th- there's a way to hold a crying baby that the baby finds really comforting. Right. And it's a way of, it's like, um, it's not the way that we might hold a crying baby where we're totally burned out and triggered and just like, God, would you please shut up? Like that's not the most comforting way to be with, with a crying baby, there's a way to hold a crying baby where, when you actually have some bandwidth um, where it's like, there's this openness of it's okay for you to keep crying and it's okay for you to stop. Like whatever, you know, like whatever, whatever's happening is okay. Um, So there's this equanimity or openness that's there And there's this care and compassion, this kind of like, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. Like whatever you need. And so that type of it's like this full presence of paying attention that has both this openness, like whatever, whatever you, whatever's coming up for you is okay. And whatever is coming up for you, I'm here for you.
0: Mm.
3: And that's the type of presence that is sort of like um, if it were possible to bring that kind of presence to everything in our lives, then we'd have so much more capacity to actually kind of have a positive impact. And really what I'm talking about in this book is that when Thich Han talks about practicing mindfulness or developing mindfulness, what he means is that we can grow that capacity in us. That for a lot of us, like that ability to be open and caring at the same time is like a on a really good day in a really good moment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it's like, but we know what it feels like. And it's something that we can practice and kind of get more of. And as soon as we realize how important it is or how helpful it would be to have more of it, then it's possible to feel really motivated to try to to try to grow that
0: oh hey guys so everybody knows that skinny dipped almonds is now (laughs) one of my major food groups skinny dipped almonds are non-gmo verified and are wrapped in a thin layer of artisan dark chocolate and have 70 percent less sugar than yesterday's chocolate covered almonds They're really good. I mean, that's really all I'm going to say about it. I would always feel really guilty when I would eat an entire bag of uh, chocolate-covered other things, and most of my friends are really excited anytime they see me because they know I'm going to bring them a bag of skinny-dipped almonds, and I'm excited for all of you guys to try these awesome skinny-dipped almonds. I'm actually, you know, it's really not difficult to talk about how much I love these because I really eat them all the time, and now Tori's addicted to them. The dogs think they're doggy treats, but do not feed your dogs chocolate because it's really toxic for them. (laughs) I don't really know what else to say. These skinny dipped almonds are so fucking good. (laughs) If you want to try them, use our promo code to get 15% off your entire order. Use the code RADLOVE15. Go to skinnydippedalmonds.com, or you can go to the info button on this particular podcast. Go to the link, click the link, fill up your cart with almonds that are skinny dipped in chocolate. They have so many different flavors. Dark chocolate raspberry, dark chocolate espresso. I'm not a coffee person, but they're actually really good. The ones I'm eating right now are the dark chocolate cocoa. The best ones are the peanut butter ones, but I feel like I already told you guys about the peanut butter ones. I just love them so much. If you happen to try them, tag me on Instagram and I'll send you a special gift. Don't forget to use the code RADLOVE15, R-A-D-L-O-V-E, 15 radlove 15 for your discount. So now we can go back to our show. I thank you for that. I have two, two questions in, in what you just said. The first one is this idea or this practice of mindfulness and it's def- many definitions or it's many facets. I feel like from, from what I've studied and the way I see people presenting it out in the world is, is a little bit uh, incongruent. Can you, just, can you just for the purposes yeah. of what we're talking about, give us the mindfulness definition and maybe where you think yeah. things have uh, shifted away yeah. from what mindfulness is?
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. So there's a lot that I could say there. Okay. So the the first thing that I'm going to say is like what I really care about, which is it doesn't matter what mindfulness means. What matters is what you want. Like, what do you want from life? Like what is your aspiration that brings you that, that drives you in your life and that, and like, is there some type of capacity or ability that, actually has some juice for you. So whether it's like feeling less anxiety, feeling more joy, feeling more like like freedom or flexibility in whatever situation, like that, that type, you know what I mean? Like whatever that is, whether if it's like, it might be wanting to feel more comfortable being really intimate with people or expressing love, like w- whatever that actually has like motivation for you, that's what matters that matters way more than how you define the word mindfulness because that's the thing you want to practice now there's a really interesting history of the term mindfulness that the um basically um John Kabat-Zinn at, um created mindfulness-based stress reduction in this very particular moment when uh Meditation was going from something that was kind of this existential life type of practice to become it to um, the medical world, was starting to get interested in um, meditation not as a spiritual practice, but as a medical intervention. And so he developed mindfulness based stress reduction in the late 70s, early 80s, as a medical intervention, specifically for, uh, for people with chronic pain. And he's very and he talks about this. He stripped away everything that he felt like conservatively trained doctors in the late seventies, early eighties might have, anything that might have made them uncomfortable. And so, but then the problem is that's kind of become. Um, John Cabotzin knew that he was presenting just a sliver of uh, of what he had learned in his background um, to these doctors, but then that became sort of like how people started defining mindfulness. And so that's where a lot of the confusion came from.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I feel like there's, there's a lot of different, uh, definitions out there. And I like that you said it is whatever it means to you. Yeah. Um, because I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's about cultivating a sense of presence and a sense of just being where you are. Yeah. And, um, taking, taking it all in. Um, I kind of want to shift a little bit and talk to you about, or ask you about, you know, this, this idea of, of being human in, in the world that we're in without it creating a a sense of depression, right? Because for, for me, I know that back when I was first practicing meditation and I would do like a loving kindness meditation, initially it would be very activating for me because I would start to think of all the suffering in the world. And instead yeah. of, you know, creating that sense of love and compassion and expansion and interconnectedness, I started to get anxious and tense and it started yeah. to, you know, make, make me a little bit angry.
3: <laughs> totally. Yeah.
0: So I guess I'm like, can you help me No.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about that because I think that's really um, one of the hard things about people when when we sort of start looking to meditation practice is it can sound like we're kind of trying to make sense on our own of all of these different teachings and how do we actually apply them. And when, when I apply them in this moment to my mind and my mind does this other thing that I wasn't expecting, and it's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And it's like, so what I'd say is like there are these sort of principles that um, this idea of deliberate practice that is um, pretty well studied in psychology, where some of the ideas are that we we choose a specific skill or capacity that we want to develop, and we pay attention to like really trying to focus on that skill and um, I think one of the most important things is that we, we increase the level of difficulty very slowly so that we're never kind of overwhelmed. And I think that that's something that's really important in meditation practice. Like what you were saying is like the images that started coming up in your mind were bigger than you had the capacity to bring compassion to in that moment. So it's just sort of like, okay, so I'm, I didn't do this on purpose. But it just, my mind brought up something that's bigger than I can practice with. In that moment, um, so the first thing that, that needs to happen is just to recognize what happened. It's not that the practice is broken. It's that what happened was my mind came up with something that's bigger than I know how to practice with right now. So there's two different possibilities. Usually, so what I would say is just we stop. And then maybe take a little bit of a break from that practice. And so maybe come back to what's a practice that I know is more nourishing for me, that I feel a little more stable in. Maybe it's just sort of a gratitude practice or walking meditation or just something that's kind of grounding or just being outside in nature. Yeah. And then, but then I know now I have this kind of understanding of okay, so that's something that I want to build up toward. I can't think about. War and um, sweatshops and like these sort of like, uh, you know, human trafficking and things like that. I, I don't, I can't sit with that right now. It's overwhelming for me, but I know that that's there. And I want to start kind of slowly, like, can I think of something unfair and find compassion and the other thing that I feel like is really important in that moment is, like, we're trying to cultivate this openness. And the mind pops up something that's like, I'm not open to this. And the, there's, a, there's a, a moment there where you can, that part of you that's like, no, not that. That becomes the, the object that needs compassion. Mm-hmm. The part of me that says, no war. The part of me that says no human trafficking—that's a part of me that's suffering and in need of compassion. And I don't need to try to convince myself that those things are okay. Like like that—that's not something I'm likely to try to do. Like that's not part of—that's not something I'm interested in. But instead, what I find is that if I bring a lot of compassion to the part of me that's like I hate this about the world. And just really let that be there and, and send a lot of love to that part of me. And in fact, kind of recognize, I'm glad you don't like this about the world. That is, that's compassion there. You want a, a safer world. Then it's a lot more possible for me to face those things. And it doesn't, it doesn't numb me. It doesn't make me kind of t- try to convince myself that they're actually okay. It's that like my reaction to them is okay. Mm. And, that, and now I have some real freedom to be present.: Yeah,
0: oh, that's so beautiful. and I, I feel like you just defined having that equanimity with compassion, yeah. right is really allowing what is there within you to just to be there and exist, exist simultaneously as you have this desire to want the suffering of the world to stop. Yeah a quick message from our sponsor if you're looking for a nutrient system that truly embraces and complements the mind-body balance in a holistic nurturing way then wellness kits from uveda are your natural answer they're created with the help of naturopathic and ayurvedic practitioners committed to the healing traditions mantra of purity and harmony these top quality ingredients are hand-picked and refined in a way that preserves utmost quality and potency Discover a wide range of formulas that deliver essential fatty acids, herbs, probiotic strains, and enzymes to help support your health and wellness needs. Whether you're looking for a natural detox support, a gentle digestive aid, soothing probiotics, or a formula dense in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, you can be assured you're getting only the best natural healing remedies for your body. Go to uveda.com, that's y-o-u v-e-d-a. Dot com and enter the promo code ROSIE, R-O-S-I-E, for a special discount on your first purchase. My next question, <laughs> I'm like, my next question. I, I really hope that I can get through this list of questions. Sure. Has to do with um, our ability to find uh, a sustainable state of joy or happiness. Yeah. Because I... One of the other reasons why I find we find we search for practices like this, spiritual practices or um, calming practices, is because we want to be in in a state of peace, in a state of health, in a state of more groundedness, more happiness. Um, Yeah. Why is it that we feel like we have to seek happiness and joy out outside of ourselves?
3: Yeah, I think just life does that. Like all life wants to avoid suffering and find wellness or thrive in whatever way, right? Like every like every single celled organism wants that. To move away from what might cause pain and to move toward what feels good or what what causes wellness. And I think there's like a that impulse is just the impulse of life in us. And that's beautiful. And like, we need to like kind of recognize that, that in some ways is the definition of compassion, that energy that just doesn't want to suffer that wants to be well. I think one of the things is that we are um, in Buddhist psychology, we say that um, all things are this kind of awakened, compassionate nature that are, but then they are conditioned by ignorance. Mm -hmm. and the way that i think the way that i think about that is like we all just want to be happy but in most of the time we don't know how to do that like we wish we did right in whatever situation the thing is though every situation in life is a new situation that you've never actually been in before (laughs) it's like this new moment that you've never faced and so we don't know even if we've in the past, we've learned a lot. We don't know really how to find happiness in this moment. So for me, ultimately, the, what you're talking about, it comes down to being able to see the beauty in that predicament. Mm-hmm. Being able to see like you are a living being, just like every living being. You, you don't want to suffer. You want to be happy and you don't know how to do that. And if you can see that that's just beautiful, like if that inspires love and compassion in you, then you can see that in every moment and even in the things that seem self-destructive. But that, that idea of like, so why do we look for happiness outside of ourselves? It's like we're just looking. I mean, wh- one thing that happens is that the human mind, its job is to try to come up with an image of what would be better than this. Right. So maybe we're enjoying this conversation, but then the mind is just like, well, you know, it would be nicer than this. It's like, if I was able to talk with this person, but like also getting a massage or like, if I was able to get like, you know what I mean? Like if I was like talking to this person and I had like a really, you know, like a a great cup of coffee or like whatever it is, it's like, you know, it would be even nicer. And then as soon as that shows up, your mind comes up to, you know, it would be even nicer than this. And so I, I think what, one of the things that happens there is like, we, um, we mistake this sort of friendly advice that our mind is giving us for like our marching orders. Oh yeah. It's so good. And it's like, okay, so yeah. So like, I have this thought of like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. And a great cup of coffee would be, would be even better. And I don't have one and I'm not going to get one. And so that that thought, it doesn't need to be like, okay, well, happiness is impossible until you have that. It's just like a suggestion. And you can say, okay, thanks, but I, I'm just, I want to keep doing this now. Ah, oh,
0: that's so prolific. <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems to be such a, you know, the, the, the root of why we get in this spin sometimes of our, we get in our own way because we think that this is better, or we, we have this uh, repetitive cycle or thought in our, in our mind. That's our default state that that's just the thoughts that we're always going to go to. Oh, this will be better if this was happening. It's like, Oh, I'm happy now, but I would be even happier if, you know, (gasps) how do we stop from doing that?
3: Yeah, no, your, your, your mind's job is to do that and it's not going to stop. And so the thing is, it's just like recognizing <laughs> like your mind's a good friend. who's. It's like your mind is a good friend who's giving you completely unsolicited advice. Oh, okay. That's And it, sometimes, and, and like it, doing it because they love you. So that you have this friend who loves to tell you what you should do and they're doing it because they love you and they just want you to be happy. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're completely wrong, but it's, it's their way of expressing love. Your mind's way of expressing love is to say like, Oh, this chair is really fucking uncomfortable. And it's just like, okay, so you want me to be comfortable, right? Yeah. I wish you were more comfortable. Thank you. (laughs) This is the chair we've got for right now. It's like, yeah. Okay. I wish, I really wish you were more comfortable. So we learn how to listen for that. Right. And if you can translate it, you don't need it to go away.
0: Right. Oh, that's so good. It's just a higher level of understanding. Yeah. Or not even a higher level. It's just being able to discern what the messages you're getting from that your, your bestie.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So I can seriously sit here and just ask you questions. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, these are the questions that I've prepared. So one of the other things that I wanted to ask you about is yeah. just coming to um, modern day, our life as, as we see it all around us. Um, there is, I'm a believer that there's a lot of love and there's a lot of good work and incredible proponents for social justice on the world like yourself that are out there doing really incredible things and are um, raising the level of awareness to things in the world that are happening that are not just. Um, we are also in a world where we are seeing a lot of people with, with a lot of anger and a lot of hate. And I feel like um, I'm like apropos, you can hear the sirens in the
1: background.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so exactly that like the chaos that is existing outside of, of of us. Yeah. How I know a lot of my friends they they get really into their their beliefs and what they think is the right thing and they sort of spurn the opposite side and separate themselves from the greater whole, thinking that everything would be better if everybody just believed what we believed.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. And and the way that I see it, I don't fully agree with that. Of course there's things that I agree that I don't agree with yeah. when it comes to uh, injustice or people certain, you know, cultures or certain races getting treated a certain way. Of course, I, I totally don't agree with that, but I also feel that it's more about opening up a conversation and being more aware of the whole as opposed to creating a villain of of an opposite side of, of what you believe. Yeah. So I guess the question is, um, being as this is obviously something that you speak to as well and it's work that you do, what what sort of advice can you give us to be able to deal with what is happening in the United States right now and and what is our role in this if if there's people out there listening that think that they don't matter, their voice doesn't matter.
3: Yeah. 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 So it's like this way of, we don't, so, so you're, you're describing like a lot of people, we just kind of fall into our little ideological camp and we just, and like, we have this sort of like righteousness that, um, that other people don't know what they're talking about and people just need to believe like, like we do. Um, And it sort of, and then there's like this idea of like, well, does that, is that helping? Is that, I mean, like, what else could I do mm-hmm. other than just be adamant about my belief system? I mean, one thing that for me, um, there's an idea that, that I talk about a little bit in, in the book of toxic righteousness. And it's this idea that it's a symptom so, the, the main thing is, like, I don't want to try to tell anybody. Like, I, I don't think it's all that helpful for people to try to um, invalidate their own belief system or, or even to try to, like, I don't think it's all that helpful for you to try to sort of um, doubt yourself or, or, like, have this kind of intense skepticism of what do I even know. The, the thing that I feel like is, is more helpful is recognizing that, that type of, the type of righteousness that sort of um, objectifies or demonizes other people, that's a symptom of this underlying, um, when I look at the pain, like when you're, when you're if we're talking about like racism and mm-hmm. social oppression in the United States right now, we're talking about just hate in the United States right now. When I look at that, If I am overwhelmed, right? If I just like if if it if it hurts me so bad to face it that like I can't deal, then either I'm going to fall into despair, or I'm going to grab on as hard as I possibly can to a belief system and just try to hang on to that so that I don't fall into despair. But it's sort of like my last dish effort right before despair. Mm. The the path forward for us, I believe, is being able to face the suffering that we wish weren't there in a way that we can have compassion for ourselves and for that, that intense no that comes up for us. That we can bring compassion and love to that intense kind of... Um, yearning for social justice. And that as we develop greater compassion, we develop an ability to face that pain. There's a James Baldwin quote that I really love. It's like, um, I'm going to paraphrase. It's um, not everything that we face can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And so it's like, we need to be able to face this hatred and look at it and if we, if when we look at it, the, the thing is, like, I, I, I don't want people to look at this hatred and be like, it's great, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we want to be able to face it and have this, like, that's not the world I want to live in. And, like, have this clarity, but not be overwhelmed with that, but with the weight and the pain. Of having to look at it so that we're you know incapacitated Mm -hmm. we want to be able to look at it and have enough compassion in ourselves that we can have this like this is we're capable of better than this um and to have that drive to do something instead of this incapacitated reaction
0: yeah oh i love that so much (laughs) Um, uh, Tim, I'm like, I, I want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> we can sit here and talk about this all day. I think it's uh, such an important topic. And as I said, your your book speaks to all of these topics at length. And I'm, I'm really grateful that this is the type of work that you're doing out in the world. And I, I feel like it really is impacting a lot of people and a lot of lives. And I'm I'm hoping that uh, for our listeners, they're gathering some new tools that they can put in their toolbox to help them uh, become more awake into the beauty of their lives. So thank you for that. Um, So I want to ask you one final question. Yeah. Before we finish, and it's pertaining to this particular podcast and why I created the podcast, yeah. it was born from this idea that we are all radically loved by God, source, higher power, whatever it is, whatever it is your belief system that the universe works for us and not against us. Yeah. And it's this idea that we're all innately radically loved. And so my final question
3: to you is, how do you feel radically loved? That's a really beautiful question. I think that uh, when I can slow down and I can basically kind of feel open, like non-defensive, if I can get in touch with the parts in me that are in need of love, and just feel like open to receiving. Then I have this experience, and I don't know how to interpret it or, or whatever it is. But I have this experience that there's love that's there, and that there's as much as as I need in any moment. And the issue is really opening to it. Mm thank you
0: thank you so much Tim for the people that are listening to us or watching this video where can they go for more information
3: or how can they connect with you yeah so you can find me Tim Desmond you can find me on social media uh, timdesmond.net is a website Um, and yeah I have a couple books out that people can find anywhere that books are sold
0: so that's awesome thank you Uh, those links will be on the show notes if you're listening to this on your phone go to the info button and all of the links tim just mentioned including where to buy his book will be on there Um, if you're watching this on youtube you can go to the uh, info section whatever the little thing (laughs) and there will be links on there uh, to everything that we just talked about so that is it. Thank you so much, Tim, for being on the show. I learned so much and I'm really grateful that you came onto the show and joined our community. Thank you so much. We hope that you come back and join us again. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosia Acosta or on Twitter at Rosia Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.